Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Morning and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next few minutes, I would like to give you an invitation to stay tuned because we're going to give you a few minutes of motivation, inspiration, education, and it will all be done without any manipulation. Our motto is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and that's our objective here. We don't give you human speculation. We give you divine revelation. That's right from the Bible. This is a a show about the Bible, but not like maybe you've heard before. We don't rant or rave. We don't solicit money. We don't sell anything. We're not asking you to join anything. All we're asking you to do is listen and apply. If I can verify as well as identify the plan of God for your life, I'm asking you to orient and adjust to the plan. That's what we're asking. All across America, there are people listening this morning to this radio show. We are almost 600 Sundays into doing this radio show, and it's been amazing to see how God the Father has given me the words to say that's always a challenge, and how he has blessed you, and how he has supported it all, even though we never asked for money. And so, as we continue on down this road, we don't know how far the Lord will take us, but we are on it till the end. And I hope you'll stick with me. I hope you'll tell other people about our show. Our objective is very simple. I, first of all, am looking for people that would like to know Christ as Savior. I take great joy in being able to lead people to Christ. And uh, if you cannot answer a simple question today, you might need to consider that. The question is this, if you died today, would you go to heaven? If you died today, would you go to heaven? Someone asked me that question when I was 22 years old, and my answer was no. Some might say, well, there's no way you can really know that for sure, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in 1 John 5, these things are written so that you might know that you have eternal life. He that has the Son has life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Our Lord Jesus Christ told Nicodemus, the Pharisee that sought him out at night, that he was surprised that the Pharisee didn't understand these things about regeneration. And uh, he told him that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Becoming a Christian is not a complicated issue. It's an act of faith. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And it's a gift from God, not of works, lest anyone should brag about it. Anyone, anywhere, anytime, any day, it's that simple. You can simply do what the Bible says, whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And in an instant, like I did, you can pray and you can tell God the Father that you are willing to receive Jesus Christ, his son, as your savior. And that is the day your life will begin all over. Because the Bible says if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things become new. So what a great opportunity for you. Today, if you want to, you can have a new life. You can have a brand new life in Christ. It's like being in school when the chalkboard was very dirty and the teacher said, who wants to clean the chalkboard? And that's going way back, isn't it? 
you would you didn't even have chalkboard in your school, I bet, but some kids did, and and they wanted to clean that chalkboard, and that old dusty, dirty chalkboard became clean, brand new, like it had never been used when they took a sponge and wiped it down. When God wipes out the sin in our life, we become clean, brand new. All of our sins were paid for on the cross by Christ. The Bible says, He who knew no sin was made sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God through him. So when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and we put our faith in what he did on the cross and we believe in him and receive him, then we are transformed and changed into a new creature, a new creation, a spiritual being. We are born again, not physically, not physically. You can't see it on the outside, but it definitely is something that happens on the inside because we are born spiritually dead. The Bible says, for by one man sin came into the world and death by sin, and now death has passed on all, for all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. We are born spiritually dead, and we will die a physical death. However, when we believe in Christ, we are made spiritually alive. We are born again, not physically, spiritually born again. That means that our dead, dormant, deceased human spirit is activated once more by God the Holy Spirit, and now we're able to have fellowship with God because the Bible says he that worships God must worship him in spirit and in truth. The truth being the Lord Jesus Christ and his written word. So when we have a real, live human spirit, it is indwelled by God the Holy Spirit, which Jesus Christ our Lord promised the disciples he would send when he left. I'll send him back to you, and he will be your mentor, your tutor, and he will guide you into truth, is what the Lord told the disciples. And that's true for us today. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1.13, we Believers, we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. So he lives in you. He has sealed you. And you've been told by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5.18 to be filled or controlled by means of the Holy Spirit. That's the secret to living the Christian life. Letting the Holy Spirit control you. Keeping sin on a very short leash and growing spiritually, as the Bible says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ. If you don't grow, you remain a baby Christian. Hebrews 5.11 says there are a lot of things I'd like to tell you, but I can't because you're babies. You can't take the meat. And that's the writer of Hebrews, whoever wrote that, Paul, Apollos, or somebody wrote it. It's in the canon of Scripture, and it differentiates between mature believers and immature believers. Playing the game, being a conventional Christian, becoming part of the nod to God crowd on, on the weekend, that, you're never going to grow up that way. You're going to have to spend time to do what the Bible says. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And when I say study, I don't mean five minutes a day. I mean, spending time daily under a well-qualified pastor who can open the Bible and reveal to you the written Word of God, teach you the contents of the Word of God so that you can learn what it has to say. My very own pastor has been teaching a series in the life of Christ, and we are now approaching 1,000th 
thousand hours of Bible study in the life of Christ, and we just now got to Jerusalem. And so you can see that there's a lot to learn in the Bible. I don't know what your pastor's like. I hope you're under that kind of pastor that's teaching you God's Word, one that is opening the Bible and teaching you the Bible more than just once a week or twice a week, more than just an evangelistic service on Sunday morning and maybe a little Bible teaching on Sunday night and Wednesday night. It is necessary that you grow, and the reason is very simple, because you are to represent Jesus Christ in this world. You are the lighthouse. You are here to expose sin and evil. You know, our Lord Jesus Christ dwells in unapproachable light in heaven right now. Listen to 1 Timothy 6.16, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Since our Lord ascended after his resurrection, no man has seen him, nor can any man see him, but the whole world will be eliminated by his return at the second advent when he comes back. When he comes back after the rapture, after the exit resurrection, remember that, we're in the church age, and the church age terminates with the exit resurrection. Then you have the seven years of tribulation, and then you have the second advent, when Christ our Lord will come back and establish the kingdom, the millennial kingdom. Listen when he comes back what the Bible says. In Matthew twenty four twenty seven. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. In Revelation 1-7, behold, he's coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. When our Lord returns for the second advent to establish his millennial kingdom, he will be universally visible. Everyone in the whole world will see him at the same time. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the manifest person of the Godhead. He's called light in the Bible. Listen to John 8-12. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but, that's the conjunction of contrast, will have the light of life. The gospel, the good news, the message of salvation is called light since it deals with the light itself, who's Christ. Paul wrote these words in 2 Corinthians 4. If our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded, the ones who do not believe, lest the light, there it is, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the image of God, should shine on them. That's the one thing Satan will seek to do today, tomorrow, and the next day. He does not want you revealing sin and evil. He does not want you reflecting the glory of Jesus Christ because people are attracted to the light. And if he can dim your light with sin, if he can dim your light with deception, if he can dim your light with disillusionment with, with the gospel and disillusionment with religion, then he will successfully keep the world in darkness. Light is used in the Bible in many ways. One way is to patrol, I mean, uh, excuse me, not patrol, but portray 
the Word of God when it's in your soul. When you have the Word of God in your soul, when you learn it and apply it, listen to Psalm 119, 105, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There is no doubt when we learn God's word, it gives us light to see what lies ahead. It gives us light to understand what we are to do. And that light was entrusted to you. God gave it to you. In Daniel 12, 3, those who are wise... And the word for the Hebrew word, sakal, means those that are prudent or insightful or the ones who have understanding. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. That's what God wants for you, to be a bright and shining star. Those who are wise, that refers to wisdom. The only way you can get wisdom is to learn God's Word. Once you hear it and learn it and apply it into your life, it becomes wisdom. It has to become gnosis or knowledge, and then it has to become epinosis or full knowledge. Once it becomes full knowledge, then your volitional decision to believe it and use it makes it wisdom. And you should have in the wisdom department of your soul the Word of God swirling around in your mind so that when you hit a situation where you need an answer, you can extract it out of that mind of yours. You can go back, you can pull it up, and you can remember what you were taught and what does the Bible say about this. That's called divine viewpoint. You can use it in an election. What does the Bible say about this? What does God reveal to us about certain things? Believers who are faithful to grow in grace and replicate the thinking of Jesus Christ, those type of believers will be recognized in eternity. There's a special reward for you, and it is the light you will emanate in eternity. Listen to 1 Corinthians. I bet you've never heard this. 1 Corinthians 15, 39. All flesh is not the same flesh. There's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another flesh, um, another of birds. There's also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star, and so also is the resurrection of the dead. If you go out tonight and look, if it's a clear sky, you'll see some bright stars and some little twinkle, twinkle stars. The sun is much brighter than the moon. You can look at the moon and it won't hurt your eyes, but you cannot look at the sun. So also is the resurrection of the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, 42. Many believers are going to brilliantly, brilliantly emanate, reflect the power and the glory of God. It's the highest decoration that any believer can receive. In eternity, the winter believers will shine. And winter believers, I'm talking about believers that go to maturity, believers that replicate the life of Christ, believers who grow in grace and knowledge and are not just part of the nod to God crowd. They're not just conventional Christians, you know, want somebody to marry them and bury them. The rest of the time, leave them alone. 
those winter believers, the ones that grew in the grace and knowledge of their Lord and Savior, they will shine like the brightest stars in all the heavens because they will be wearing what's called the Order of the Morning Star, the translucent robe of glory they will wear over their resurrection body. It's the highest decoration awarded to any church-age believer. In Revelation 2.26, Furthermore, the winner, even he who keeps my assignment until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and I will give him the order of the morning star. This award is named after our Lord's royal title. He is the bright in the morning star. And this award is given to believers like you who have a historical impact in the church age. So your challenge and my challenge is very simple. We must recognize the dilemma that we find ourselves in today. As Americans, we are in a ship with no rudder. Nationally and personally, we've lost our core values. And if we don't do something, if we don't stop the drift, we will wind up on the rocks of national or personal divine discipline. So what exactly should be your personal core values, the things that you should live by? Micah 6, 8 in the Old Testament lays it out plain and simple. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? All right, here you go. Listen. But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. Revelation means the illumination or the ability to see from divine insight given by God. If there's no revelation in a nation such as America, the people will cast off restraint. The Hebrew word para, meaning they have nothing to enlighten them. They have no boundaries. They have nothing to hold them back. There is no light to illuminate the danger that they face. There must be revelation. And you are the revelation. You are the illumination and the reflecting the glory of Jesus Christ. As you take God's word and learn it and use it and grow in grace, you begin to represent Christ to your generation. But a nation that has no core values is a dangerous nation. A nation that's unrestrained and lawless, fulfilling the old sin nature's desires, justifying everything that's wrong and making it right by means of laws and arrogant preoccupation with self, that's what's happened in this country. We've lost our core values. We're adrift in a sea of confusion with no rudder. When the word of God or the gospel is withheld, people don't have any light, and they walk in darkness. They don't see the danger that they are walking into. Without a light, you don't see the snake on the side of the trail in the dark of night, and America's light has grown dim. When there's a lack of truth, in a nation like ours, then the population will stumble in the darkness because they're, they're searching for a way out. 
This is why the enemy, a.k.a. the devil, works so hard to eliminate your light, the light that you have that's supposed to shine forth. His intent is to minimize your impact, to marginalize your effectiveness, and demonize those like you, those goofy, silly, holy roller type Christian people. They're all phonies. You hear that all the time. Demonizing you. And you're the only one that has the light. Proverbs has something to say about this. Proverbs 1.25 through 29. This is a good indicator of what's going on in our country today. Here it is. Listen carefully. Because you disdained all of my counsel, and you would have none of my rebuke, I will laugh at your calamity, and I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, <clears throat> but they're not going to find me. Because they hated knowledge and they did not choose to respect the Lord. They hated the light. They didn't want the light because the light exposes sin and evil. And so when the bottom falls out, when people start dying by the thousands, when the enemy overruns the shore, then people will call on God to help. Help God, help God, help God. And God just said, I just read it to you. Not going to happen. You didn't want the light. You want me now when you're in trouble, but you didn't want me any other time. Is your life like that? Are you the sort of individual that wants God when things are tough, but the rest of the time you ignore God? You go down your own my way highway? Let me be the first to tell you, God is not the genie in the eight ball. He's not going to pop out at your little request because you got a difficulty. I can tell you this. He loves you. He would love to have an intimate relationship with you. He would love to see his son, Jesus Christ, your Lord, magnified in your life by every thought and action and deed that you do. But it's up to you. You have to make the decision. Either you're going to grow in grace and stay filled with God's Holy Spirit and replicate the life of Christ, or you're going to find other priorities to, to capitalize on in your time. It's up to you. But you must realize, recognize the dilemma that we're in. And then secondly, you have to realize your position. That's both nationally and personally. What I mean by that, I mean we're going to be held accountable for every decision that we make. Hosea 8.7 says they've sown to the wind, and now they will reap the whirlwind. The Bible recognizes your decision-making capability, your volition, both individually and nationally. We're about to make a national decision in the election. When you hear this, the election will be over. The people of America made a decision. The Bible recognizes that. In Jeremiah 23, 18, for who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and who has perceived and heard his word? Who marked his word and heard it? In Proverbs 1, 32, for the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of a fool will destroy them. 
But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and be secure without fear of evil. Your volition, your decision-making capability is part of the invisible format of your soul. And so you can choose for yourself. God gave you freedom to choose. But when you go negative to his word, when you reject his mandates, you are guaranteeing loss of freedom and loss of prosperity. And so every one of us must be responsible for our individual decisions. You can't blame other people for your unhappiness and your misery. Galatians 6, 7, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Whatever man sows, he's going to reap. And the result of negative volition is always self-induced misery. The miserable man is the man that ignores God's invitation to have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And the miserable nation is the nation that rejects the laws of establishment, freedom, marriage, family, nationalism, rejecting those concepts and eliminating the light of the gospel from the world. If we do not recover our destiny nationally and personally, we will cease to exist. Isaiah 55, 6, seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. God designed you to be happy. Your personal sense of destiny is critical to understanding what the future holds for you. Looking back to the good old days, well, that's tantamount to having no future destiny. That's why Paul said, I forget those things that are behind and I reach forward to those things that are ahead. The destiny of this nation is seen in your life. In the life of a mature believer, you must be mature spiritually. You must be a member of the pivot, the small group of mature believers that hold the nation together. The core values of the mature believer are critical. Only you have the power to change the course of history by means of your invisible impact as light in the world. That's why you're here. You're here to be the lighthouse. You're here to shed warning, not by preaching, not by pointing and accusing, but by living and magnifying and glorifying your Lord, your Savior, Jesus Christ, the anointed Son of God. He can do the convincing. The Holy Spirit can do the convicting. You must do your part, which is grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Until next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Floodline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054 or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.